I almost gave up on true love. Almost did. Until something simple but profound happened to me. But to even get there, I had to suffer three romantic tragedies early in my life to get me to that breaking point. We'll dive in right after the music. You're listening to 7-Minute Stories with Aaron Califato. This is Season 4. I always was a romantic, embarrassingly so. Don't know why, didn't ask for it. But I started making moves early on, even in elementary school, handing flowers to girls, professing my love. It's just who I was. Now, as I moved through school into junior high, we're talking 7th and 8th grade, those years is when it was really intense. I always wanted to find my true love, my soulmate. I was on a mission. And in those years, when you're that age, it's like every single moment is the most important moment. You know what I'm saying? That's where we're going to start this story. At that time, I met Rebecca. Now, Rebecca was something out of a rom-com. Or think of Saved by the Bell when Tori came into the picture. Not a lot of people liked Tori. I did. Rebecca had a leather coat and jeans, ripped up jeans, rock and roll. She sat next to me in history class. And the number one thing I admired about her, besides the fact that she was different and beautiful, was her trapper keeper. Her trapper keeper had pictures of all these rock stars, guitarists, rock legends. And I remember sitting next to her and saying, you know, that's an amazing trapper keeper. I'm a guitar player. She goes, really? I said, yeah. And then I said, you know, in a few years, you're probably going to have a picture of me on your trapper keeper because I'm going to make it as a rock star. She said, really? I said, oh, yeah. I said, but in the meantime, why don't you give me your number and we can talk, music, all that stuff. And then she slid me her number on a piece of notebook paper. And at the end of the last digit, she had a heart. This was a first for me. I took that number home and I remember my hand was shaking when I picked up the phone and I called her. When she picked up her phone, it was really noisy in the background of her house, TVs blaring, babies crying, people arguing. It sounded really chaotic. And she didn't sound or seem as confident as she usually was when I would talk to her in history class. And I said, hey, Rebecca, how are you? She said, good. How are you? She sounded meek. Then all of a sudden I heard it was her brother say, Rebecca, get off the effing phone or I'm going to kick the living crap out of you and your little boyfriend. I was shocked. I mean, my life wasn't perfect, but to hear something like that kind of makes your stomach kind of turn. And I got a sense of what she was living with. And she said to me, hey, I can't really talk and I don't think we should talk anymore. I said, why? She said, you don't know my brother. I said, I can handle it. She goes, no, he'll hurt you. I can't talk to you again. I'm sorry. She hangs up the phone, never called her again. And even in school, she never talked to me again. And even though it's a little bit silly when I think back on it now, it felt in the moment like a serious heartbreak. That one stung, but I was on a mission to find true love and I needed to dust myself off. And I thought maybe it's Monica. I had known Monica through elementary school. 
Many years, we were friendly, bordering flirting, and it continued as we got into junior high. And here's the thing. Her mom was from Venezuela, and my mom was a Spanish teacher and translator for the courts and was trying to teach me Spanish. I thought, the connection is undeniable. I got to make a move. I got to let her know. We got to take this from friendship to the next level. But I had to do something romantic, a gesture she would never forget. So I got her one of those necklaces, you know, that have two pieces of one heart. I kept one. I put another one in a little box and I wrote a note in Spanish. My mom helped me, basically professing my love and saying, will you take the other half of my heart if you do? That means you want a date. The next day, she comes up to me. She's holding the necklace. I thought, this is it. It's happening. But what I thought was a smile at a distance was a frown when she walked up to me. She held the other half of the necklace and she said, I don't want this necklace. I don't want the other half of your heart. And I said, I'm sorry. I just took my shot. And she goes, and by the way, and she handed me the note. I don't even speak Spanish. That one was a that one was bad. That one hurt a little bit. <laughs> that one took some time to recover from. Wasn't sure if I was going to make it back. And I thought maybe it's Christina. Maybe it's been Christina the whole time. I remembered like a flashback all the smiles for years from when I had a crush on her in elementary school. Now as we're about to go into high school. All the years, all the flirtation, all the glances. But the reason why I didn't do anything, the reason why I didn't pursue it was because she was always, quotations, dating Mike. And look, bottom line, Mike was a dick. Mike was that guy. He's like a stereotype from a rom-com. The guy who does everything wrong and still gets rewarded. The guy who treated girls, including Christina, badly. But then they're like... He's just misunderstood. We really like him. And I'm going, why are you with this guy who is clearly a dick? Never understood it. And I thought to myself, maybe I should take a shot. Maybe all along she's had a crush on me and she's been afraid to say something. So I made my move. So I wrote her a letter, probably the most romantic letter any eighth grader has ever written. I'm going to be honest. I folded it up and I handed it to her on recess. And I said, look, I know this comes as a shock, but read this. And if you feel the way I do, meet me after school and I'll walk you to your bus. And that'll be the sign. If you don't feel it, we don't have to say another word. And I walked away. Later that day, I'm in my last class, I'm packing up to go, and I see Christina in the doorway, smiling, waving to me, holding the letter. This is it. She's made her decision. I truthfully, in that moment, felt so happy. <laughs> and I got up with the idea of holding her hand and walking her to her bus. And as I walked towards her, Mike comes into the frame of the door and they both start laughing at me. The joke was on me. They had planned this whole thing after she read the note and they wanted to make me look like an idiot. They pointed at me, held the letter, laughed, 
and walked away. When you experience that kind of thing anytime in your life, you don't ever forget it. And I haven't forgotten it. And I could have given up on love. That was the lowest point for me. I thought, this thing isn't for me. I'm going to be single my whole life. I'll never find my true love. And then I listened to a song from my favorite band, Pearl Jam. Better man. She lies and says she's in love with him. Can't find a better man. She dreams in color. She dreams in red. Can't find a better man. I thought, I'm the better man. I'm the better man. She's looking for him out there. I'm looking for her. I can't give up on love. I kept looking. Look, some people find it early and keep it forever. Some people find it early and lose it. Some people find it late and some people never find it at all. But I kept looking and luckily I found her. The woman who's about to voice our outro accepted the other half of my heart necklace. Seven Minute Stories is created and performed by Aaron Califato. Our senior audio engineer is Ken Went. Our resident artist is Pete Whitehead. Original music by TJ Duke. If you or your company needs help starting a podcast, Aaron and Ken's company, Valley View, does just that. Reach out to them at valleyview.fm. Special thanks to our partners at Evergreen Podcasts, and I'm Corey Burse. Make sure to tune in next week for another story.